If you have your Bibles open, please, to the Gospel of Matthew. If you do not have a Bible with you, there should be one uh, for you on the, in one of the pew racks near you. And if you do not own a Bible, see me immediately following the service, and I will make sure that you get one put into your hands. And I join with Jason and with the fellowship in welcoming our guests this morning and delighted that you are here. We have been walking slowly through the Gospel of Matthew now for uh, since January of the last year. And technically, we started on the last Sunday in December, the year before that. But you know what? I'm not in any hurry, and the Lord is not in any hurry, because what I want all of us to see is what Matthew wants us to see, that this Christ is the King, that this Christ is the perfect Lamb of God, that this one, Jesus Christ, is the only Savior the world has ever known, and He is the only person worth following, the only person worth emulating. And Matthew has been showing us throughout, uh, really from chapter 9, I guess, on in, in this book, uh, how, what, what John said, he came into his own and his own received him not. We are seeing the rejection of the Christ by the rulers of the people. Whether it be a king or whether it be religious leaders or whatever, we are seeing the abject rejection of Christ. And what we have come to here in, in chapter 21 and now continuing chapter 22 is we are in the week of Christ's passion. These are the events that took place in the days preceding his crucifixion for the sins of his people. And stop and think what just a, a few days could bring as he entered into the city on, on the first day of the week, on a Sunday. Shouts of the people, Hosanna, God save. Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And you have all of this praise. And then over in the corner, you've got this group of glowering religious leaders with their arms folded and their brows furrowed and their criticism rampant. Same ones who have been following him throughout his ministry, dogging him, always trying to get the people to turn against him, always trying to, to get him to say something whereby they could entrap him and ultimately arrest him and just getting him, get him out of the way. And upon entering into the city, he came to the temple and he saw the incredible abuses that were taking place there in the courts of God's house. And he drove out those who were uh, exchanging the money, which needed to be exchanged, but they had, were doing so at usurious rates. And they were selling even the most meager sacrifices at exorbitant rates so that the poor were suffering and so that people 
could not worship. And everything that was taking place was just noise. There was no worship of God taking place there. And he was angry, and, and, and rightfully so. It is written, he said, my house shall be a house of prayer. No praying going on here. You have made it into a den of thieves. And so he has done incredible, mighty miracles. He has taught with great authority as no one had ever taught. And the Jews and the people were beginning to see and to hear and to recognize this all throughout. But constantly there was this group of people on his heels seeking his destruction. And if the events about which we are studying this morning take place on the Tuesday of Passion Week, then in three short days, the Son of God would be lifted up for the sins of His people. And so after He had cleansed the temple, He went back to Bethany and stayed with His friends likely there. And then the next day, He returned to the temple And I go all the way back to to chapter 21 and verse 23 to set the stage for our continuing teaching this morning. When he entered the temple, the chief priests and the elders of the people came up to him as he was teaching and said, by what authority are you doing these things? What are these things? Perhaps it was uh, the cleansing of the temple. Perhaps it is his teaching. Certainly he had done enough miracles to convince anyone that he was a, a powerful man, but they had accused him all along of being in league with uh, Satan. And so they asked this question once again, by what authority are you doing all of these things and, by, and who gave you this authority? And if you recall, he would not answer them directly because he knew what was in their heart, that they were trying to trip him up. And so he began to give them the answer in parable form. Matthew's shown us primarily the hatred of the Pharisees and the scribes, teachers of the law, the ones who should have looked into prophecy and recognized him first. The ones who should have been the ones who introduced him to the people. But you know, their opinion of the people was terrible. Jesus taught on that. Certainly, they had a terrible opinion of of sinners. Those that they considered the greatest of sinners. Prostitutes, tax collectors, those who were involved with such awful things as that. But they looked down on the people in general. They, you might recall in, in John chapter 7 that, that uh, these same officers sent for Jesus to be brought to them and they were going to arrest him. And, and the officers came. This is in John eight forty five. The officers then came to the chief priests and Pharisees and said to them, uh, why did you not bring him? And the officers answered, no one ever spoke like this man. The Pharisees answered them, have you also been deceived? Have any of the authorities or the Pharisees believed in him? Well, they don't know about Nicodemus, do they? (laughs) 
But this crowd that does not know the law is accursed. Instead of teaching the people the law and showing them the the grace of God and the salvation of God, they just say, ah, the people are accursed. And I stop to say, we must be so careful that in our attitudes and in our withholding of the gospel from our neighbors and from those who are not like us, that we may be actually declaring that they are not good enough to hear our gospel. Was there one of you here who deserved to receive the gospel of Christ and salvation? Is there one? There's none. All have sinned. All have come short of the glory of God. All are in need of a Savior. And the Pharisees who studied the Scripture and the scribes, they should have recognized Messiah, and indeed I believe they did, but they, he wasn't the kind of Messiah that they wanted. And you're going to find a lot of people that want Jesus, but they want him to be a teacher. Anytime, we mentioned this before, but if you, as you're reading through the Gospel of Matthew, anytime someone calls him teacher, anytime someone calls him teacher, they don't believe in him. They don't believe that he is Messiah. They don't believe that he is God's son. They don't believe that he is the king. Well, he's a great teacher. And a lot of people will go, and, and you hear it in political realms even now, people talking about how Jesus would do this, and Jesus would do that, and, and all of the different things that, that, that people imagine. But they take and they twist Jesus into whomever they want him to be. And when they like his teaching, they'll use it. And when they don't like his teaching, they'll ignore it. They'll cast it away. We must guard against that in our own lives. But indeed, as we share the truth of the gospel, all need a Savior. All need a Savior. So as I said, primarily it's been the the scribes and it's been the the, the Pharisees. Here we have the chief priests and elders, and that's... That's probably a pharisaical uh, uh, group, mostly. But as we go through and, and, and we have other confrontations that are taking place in, in chapter 22 as we will come to them, we're, we're going to see that uh, the Sadducees are also involved here. That's another religious sect. Now, they played more on, on the, uh, uh, the side of Rome, They wanted to to, to be sure that they had their power base. Just like the Pharisees wanted to have their power base. And so you have this group also, uh, it's more of a political group called the Herodians. And the Herodians uh, 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 included a lot of Pharisees, but these were the ones that openly supported whatever Herod, the family member, was on the throne at the time. They were pro-Roman. So you have the Pharisees who are anti-Roman. You've got uh, the Herodians and the Sadducees that are much more pro-Roman. And these groups, to some degree, had a hatred for one another. 
But they found common ground in one thing. They hated Jesus. They hated Jesus. So the enemy of my enemy is my friend. I'm not sure, is that a Klingon saying from Star Trek? I think so. But it's a, it's, it's, it's a truth. Enemies will join together against a common enemy. And this is what is exactly taking place in the rejection of Christ. He was a threat to their, their, their power. He was a, a threat to the status quo. And so these sworn enemies joined together to destroy Jesus' ministry. And since they couldn't destroy his ministry, ultimately, they're just going to have him killed three days. In three days. Now this morning, as we come to the third of the three parables that Jesus gave to show that his authority was indeed from God, and that to reject his authority was to reject God, and the third of these this morning, I want us to also notice amidst all of the uh, uh, judgment upon sin and the rejection of Christ, I want us to notice the grace of God at work in this. The grace of God at work in this. Because back in chapter 21, you have in, in verses 28 through 32, that first parable, you've got a, a, a disobedient son and an obedient son and in that, even though we know that the son who, who disobeyed the father did not please him, we have no judgment proclaimed there, no judgment pronounced there. In the second parable, the parable of the wicked tenants, the ones who not only murdered the servants of the, of the vineyard owner, but also murdered his son, there the master evicted them from his property and the picture that we see is that they are being separated from the presence of God. And so now this morning we come to the third parable. And again we see God representing the master in this case the king, but this time we see him destroying those who spurn him. And in his proclamation God's sentence against faithless Israel begins to unfold. Would you read with me and rise in the honor of reading God's Word, Matthew 22, 1 through 14. And again, Jesus spoke to them in parables, saying, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who gave a wedding feast for his son, and sent his servants to call those who were invited to the wedding feast. But they would not come. Again, he sent other servants saying, tell those who are invited, see, I have prepared my dinner. My oxen and my fat calves have been slaughtered and everything is ready. Come to the wedding feast. But then paid no attention and went off, one to his farm, another to his business, while the rest seized his servants, treated them shamefully, and killed them. The king was angry. He sent his troops and destroyed those murderers and burned their city. 
Then he said to his servants, The wedding feast is ready, but those invited were not worthy. Go therefore to the main roads and invite to the wedding feast as many as you find. And those servants went out into the roads and gathered all whom they found, both bad and good. So the wedding hall was filled with guests. But when the king came to look in, or to look at the guests, he saw there a man who had no wedding garment. And he said to him, friend, how did you get in here without a wedding garment? And he was speechless. Then the king said to the attendants, bind him hand and foot and cast him into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. For many are called, few are chosen. Oh God, increase our understanding through the reading of your word. By your spirit, strike our minds and our hearts with its truth and conform us more into the image of Christ in whose name I pray. Amen. Be seated, please. So again, Jesus is teaching in parables, as verse 1 says, and then verses 2 and 3. The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who gave a wedding feast for his son and sent his servants to call those who were invited to the wedding feast, but they would not come. Well, the people originally invited to the banquet of God who should have come to the great feast it was prepared for Messiah, was Israel. It was Israel. God had redeemed them for his own possession out of all of the peoples in the world. And their reaction to God is as shocking as these people's reaction to the king. And it's shocking on a natural level, but it's also incredibly shocking on the, the, the spiritual level. They refused. Now, we don't live under a, uh, a monarchy. But imagine if you did and there was a king and he invited you. Whether he was a good king or an evil king, he invited you to attend the, the marriage feast of his son. This is the king. This is the one who rules all things. This is the sovereign of the land. And he has invited you to come. Would you just ignore him? Some just wouldn't come. And so, and, and this is an amazing thing, in his patience... He sends more servants to invite them again. Despite Israel's rejection, despite Judah going into Babylonian captivities, despite uh, the dispersing of the entire ten tribes of the north into the, the, the nations by the Assyrians, despite all of those things, those who gathered together again received an opportunity once again to come to the feast. Come into fellowship with me, says the great God of the universe, sovereign over heaven and earth. Come, come. 
And it's, 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 he didn't invite them over for, for McDonald's nuggets or even Chick-fil-A nuggets, which are a lot better. Anybody works for McDonald's? I'm sorry. Look what he says. I prepared my dinner. We've got the best meat available. My oxen, my fat calves, everything is ready. There are sweet things. There are, are marvelous things. There are things that you can only begin to imagine upon the table of the king. Come and dine with us. Come to the wedding feast. And some just paid no attention and went off. It says one to his farm, another to his business. Reminder of the ones who, who came to the Lord Jesus and said, Lord, I, I would like to follow you. And Jesus, looking at the man, says, the birds of the air have nests and foxes have holes that they can stay in, but the Son of Man has no place to stay. Are you willing to give up all of your comforts to follow Christ? Another one says, I need to go take care of my father's affairs. I need to get things ready. And Jesus says, let the dead bury the dead. You come, follow me. The things of business took these people away. One to his farm, agricultural business. One to the city to his business, the urban areas. People were invited, and some of them just ignored. The invitation of the gospel is to come to the king. It is to come into relationship, into a covenant relationship with holy God through the blood of his son, Jesus Christ. And if you're here this morning and you have heard this gospel and you have just ignored it, then you are in danger, grave danger. For as we have seen, there is a judgment coming. Because you may say, well, I've not been antagonistic to the gospel like these who, who seized the servants, treated them shamefully, and, and killed them, and those who have persecuted uh, the, 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 the people of God through all of the ages would be uh, in that type of category that were there. I'm not like that. I just, I just want to live my own life and do my own thing. The end result for those who ignore the call of Christ is the same for those who blatantly reject Christ. It's the same. And unless you come to him, unless you have been born again, you're hopelessly lost. And yet God is in his patience allowing his grace to continue to work in the world right now. And that's what was happening here. I mean, somebody says, I don't want to come to your wedding. Do you send them another invitation? Not typically. 
This king is showing the patience of God. This story shows God's long-suffering nature. And so he sends those second servants. All the best. Everything's ready. The kingdom of God is among you. The kingdom of God is at hand. And some don't care. And others are reactive, resistant, and even hostile to the gospel. But I wonder if there would be a testimony, if we could get a testimony time here, if, if there's not one of you who would say, I was hostile to the gospel. I spoke against Christ. I spoke against the church. I spoke against God, but God captured my life. He is able, and he is willing. And the days are extended that you might come to faith. The response was abhorrent on a literal level. Imagine receiving that invitation throwing it away as if it was nothing, or taking those who delivered it and abusing them and even killing them. It's just, just unthinkable. But obviously Jesus' point here is, is, is to the heart, it's to the, the spiritual level. As Israel had been invited to the wedding feast of the Messiah, they killed the prophets, ignored the message of God. And as patient as God is, there is an end to his patience. There is a time set when Christ will return and he will come, as we sang this morning, as we read this morning, he will come as the rewarder of the faithful and the judge of the unfaithful. That day is coming. And the king was angry. He was angry at sin, and he would finally be done with sin altogether. He sent his troops. He destroyed those murderers and burned their city. The king's wrath led to vengeance. The murderers were killed, and their cities was burned, and you could imagine that the ramifications would have spread even further out into the farmland where those who had ignored the invitation lived. And some of us might be thinking, and as we will continue on in Matthew, we will see uh, two, two scenes of judgment, one upon Jerusalem and Judaism that would come in 70 AD when the Romans came and invaded Jerusalem and tore the temple down. And certainly the burning of the city would be reflective of something like that. But this is of greater importance. This is end of days. The king's anger will be poured out on all sin. Judgment day. It's coming. That's a horrible day if you are not in Christ. Well, the wedding feast is ready, he told his servants. 
But those who invited weren't worthy. And don't try to get too caught up in timelines and things here. Jesus is, is, is showing us these things in order that it would affect our thinking and affect our hearts and our minds. Those who were invited were not worthy. Go, therefore, to the main roads and invite the wedding to the wedding feast as everybody you find. Anybody that you find. And the servants went out of the roads and gathered all that they found, both bad and good, so the wedding hall was filled with guests. Different guests. Not the original intended guests, but the, the extended invitation to the nations, if you will. Certainly to the, uh, those that the Pharisees looked down upon the most. The tax collectors, the prostitutes, we would uh, put them in line with human slave traders and, 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 and drug uh, cartels and, and, and all manner of evil that is in the world. And yet, understand this, the invitation to come to Christ is open to them. It's open to all. Invite to the feast as many as you find. Doesn't matter if they're good. Doesn't matter if they're bad. Bring them on. Well, we know that there's no one good. <laughs> to some degree or another, we're all bad. But the point is, every type of person was invited to come. It was just indiscriminately out there, even for the riffraff. Anybody on the streets. The outcasts. This shows the transition from, from those who rejected God's summons within Judaism now to the Gentiles. The originally invited guests, Jesus said, were unworthy. They did not deserve a place at the banquet table because they would not come on God's terms. And there's a lot of people trying to come to God on their own terms what they think is right, the latest thing that they've heard, whatever religious uh, uh, fad is going on or even some ancient religion, they come and they think that they can find God that way. But there is only one way to God, and that is through Christ Jesus. The worthiness or unworthiness, if you look at the riffraff that came in, they weren't worthy either, were they? But the king made them worthy. And what determines your worthiness is how you respond to the gospel invitation. When Christ looks at you and says, come unto me if you're weary, if you're heavy laden, I will give you rest for your souls. My burden is easy. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. Cast your cares upon me. How you respond to that determines whether you are worthy or unworthy. And these last ones who were invited in the story, they, they responded properly. And now the, the kingdom feast included a, a community from every type of person. In the kingdom of heaven, and those who will be gathering at the feast of the Lamb at end of days, come from every tribe, every nation, every language, every people group, every place that the gospel has reached, even to you. Now, there's a second message here. 
comes in verses 11 through 13. When the king came in to look at the guests, he saw there a man who had no wedding garment. Now let me stop. Do you think that the riffraff and the people on the streets and the people who were just invited in, they came, do you think that they had wedding garments? No. So how did they get wedding garments? The king provided them. The king gave them wedding garments. The king made them fit for such an occasion as this. But there was one man there who had no wedding garment. And he said to him, friend, how did you get in here with, without a wedding garment? That word friend there, by the way, that's kind of a distancing term. You know, if I want to talk to you gently or, you know, oh, brother, it's good to see you. Oh, sister, it's good to see you. Friend, how did you get in here? It's kind of a separating kind of thing. Without a wedding garment. And he was what? Speechless. Speechless. And king said to the attendants, bind him hand and foot and cast him into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. No wedding clothing. No proper attire. And so while this man had responded to the call to the feast, he had refused to, to, to conform to the necessary standards. In other words, he wanted to be at the feast, but he wanted to just come and live however he wanted to. And when you come into Christ, you can't just live however you used to live. If you are in Christ, you're a new creation. Now you want different things. You want new things. You want Christ's things. And the righteousness of Christ has been imputed to us. Blessed is the one to whom God does not impute sin, but blessed instead imputes the righteousness of Christ. What does that mean? It means you can come and say you're a part of, 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 of a church. You can even say you're a part of, of the kingdom of Christ. You can say you have trusted him as your Lord and Savior. But if this has not had effect on your life, I'm not talking about sinless perfection, but if the righteousness of Christ has not truly been imputed to you, then you are as lost as those who went to destruction for refusing the gospel altogether. Why have you behaved this way? The king asked the man. Why have you insulted me? Why do you call me, Jesus said, Lord, Lord, and you don't do the things that I say? You don't practice love. You don't practice brotherhood. You don't practice righteousness. You don't share the truth of the gospel. You're not part and parcel with the family of Christ. Why are you behaving the way you're behaving? And there will come a time when we will all stand before the Lord. And unless we are standing covered in the righteousness of Christ, the wedding feast will be a disaster because you will be rejected from there. He was silent. He gave no response. Why? Because he was without excuse. He knew the truth. He knew what was expected and he refused to do so. Only eternal judgment remains for those who reject Christ outright, for those who 
reject him with great hatred and to those who seem to be of the faith but are not. Verse 14 says, many are called and few are chosen. Many people hear the gospel, but only a certain number respond rightly to it. We would call that, uh, in, in, in our theological circles, the external call to repentance. It is the external call of the gospel. That's what you and I extend to our family members. It's what you and I extend to our neighbors and to our co-workers. The external call, come to Christ, come to salvation. Escape the wrath that is to come. Many hear it, but few in comparison respond to it. Many are called, few are chosen. Those who respond are the chosen, the elect. The Pauline writings, the word call usually refers to God's irresistible uh, calling to the elect alone. That's the effectual call or the internal call. And that effectual call is the supernatural drawing of God. Jesus spoke of in John 6, when he says, No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on that last day. How you respond to the external call reveals how the Spirit of God is working in you with the internal call. But here we have that general call in view. And the call is the whosoever will of the gospel, one writer says. Turn in your Bibles as we close to Revelation chapter 22. Revelation chapter 22. Look down in verse 17. The Spirit and the bride say, Come. And let the one who hears say, Come. These, the Spirit and the church, These are those who have come together in that covenant relationship with Christ. And we long for the coming of of, of our Savior and God to culminate end of days. Even so, come, Lord Jesus, we often pray and desire. But look a little bit further, because there's another group here. The ones who are thirsty. Let the one who is thirsty come. Come to Christ. Come in repentance and in faith. Let the one who desires the water of life without price come. And so if there are any among the congregations who are not yet followers of Christ as this man who had not been clothed in the right garments, if you have not been clothed yet in the righteousness of the blood of Jesus Christ, there is still time. You feel the wooing of the Spirit of God saying, I've never come to faith. I need a Savior. Tyson's testimony this morning that he had grown up knowing about God, knowing about Christ, 
I heard, uh, Tyson, from somebody that you got saved when you were four years old during a storm. Some of you got saved at some point during a storm, but it wasn't real. He's a junior in high school. God strikes his heart with the truth that he is a sinner in need of a Savior. And he grows. You still sin, brother? Okay, he still sins. But he is more like Christ. The call continues. The call continues. Know this. God invites many people from every nation and tribe into his kingdom. We extend that call from our families even to the ends of the earth. We go some as individuals. We go... uh, some from our church, other goes from other sending organizations. But most of us are just day by day going, living our lives, telling people about Christ. Invite them all. Doesn't matter what they look like, doesn't matter what they smell like, doesn't matter how they speak, doesn't matter how they act. Invite them all because we extend the call of Christ to come. But know this, you have sat under the teaching of the gospel maybe all of your lives, and certainly you've at least heard your need for a Savior this morning. Overt rejection or ignoring the gospel call will lead you to eternal judgment. And I'm not trying to embarrass anyone, but just everybody bow your heads and close your eyes. If someone, if the the Spirit of God is dealing with you in your need of salvation right now, I want you to rise up and walk out the back door. Don't wait for me to quit talking. Don't wait for anything else. just want you to go out that back door because somebody is there who will tell you how to come into faith. Don't wait and don't delay because we do not know the moment or the hour or even the day that Christ is coming. But he is coming. You need to prepare. Jesus taught if, you, if the homeowner knew that a thief was coming, he would have been ready. Well, understand this. Christ is coming. You should be ready. And then for some, uh, this failure to prepare, not bearing fruit. Some of you perhaps have said, well, I made a profession of faith 20-something years ago, and I'm fine. But you have not borne any fruit for Christ. You care nothing for the gospel going forth. You are not involved with, with Christ's church, people with whom you are in a covenant relationship. You are not studying the Word of God. You have shown no spiritual growth whatsoever. Then you need to think, am I really Christian? Because a Christian acts like a Christian. That's why Paul said to the church in Corinth, examine yourselves to see whether you're in the faith. Test yourself. Well, how do I, how do, I do that? Are you bearing fruit and keeping with righteousness and keeping with repentance? Is the fruit of the Spirit guiding your life? 
Test yourself, Paul said. Or do you not realize this about yourself? Christ is in you. If Christ is in you, the fruit is being born out. Unless indeed you fail to meet the test. And folks, I want to tell you, that's not really a call to doubt. That is a call to assurance. And the way to be assured of your righteousness is not through the letter of the law. It is through the fruit of the Spirit. Church, unbelievers need to know that they face eternal judgment. That part of the gospel we don't like to share. But until a person realizes their great need, they will not come into the Savior. Professing Christians, you need to know that you're not exempt from danger if you have replaced the true gospel with some sort of substitute of your own making, of your own design. But understand this, there is no other gospel. But then the great joy in all of this, those who are found faithful, those who have been preparing themselves for the wedding feast of the Lamb, your reward is eternal fellowship with the King. Adam and Eve had that. They had that kind of relationship with God before sin entered in. Israel, when they were being prepared uh, to, to, to worship God and taught, it says in Exodus 24 that Moses and Aaron, Nadab and Abihu and 70 of the elders of Israel went up and they saw the God of Israel. And there was under his feet, as it were, a pavement of sapphire, like the very heaven for clearness. It says he did not lay his hand on the chief men of the people of Israel. I like this. They beheld God and ate and drank. They're feasting in the presence of God. The Lord's table, that second ordinance that I referred to at the outset of the service, baptism being that which identifies us as being in covenant relationship with God and with the church. The Lord's table further reflects that ongoing relationship. It reflects that which is coming. When Jesus told his disciples there at the Passover, the night before his crucifixion, I tell you, I will not drink again of this fruit of the vine until the day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. The marriage feast of the Son of God, of the Lamb. Oh, such joy awaits those who endure to the end. John writing, Then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters, and like the sound of mighty peals of thunder, crying out, Hallelujah! For the Lord our God, the Almighty, reigns. Let us rejoice and exult and give Him the glory, for the marriage of the Lamb has come, and the bride has made herself ready, and it was granted to her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure, for the fine linen is the righteousness, the righteous deeds of the saints. And the angel said to me, write this, 
Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. John says, he said to me, these are the true words of God. O Lord, strike each heart in keeping with their estate at this moment that none of us would leave unaware of the glories that await us or the punishment that is coming. Oh God, do a work in every life. And then work through this church, work it out through us in the coming days that your gospel might go forth and that lives would be converted unto you.